a big shout out to moms. We love you, mom. Okay, one, two, three. We love you, mom. I love kids guessing ages. I just heard everybody go, that's the question you don't ask, isn't it? Well, welcome to Portico. If you're here today joining us, we're so glad that you're with us. And if you're new here, we trust you're going to feel right at home and very welcomed. We're in a series. You can take your Bibles out. We're in a series. It's called Authentic. And it's actually a very, very appropriate message for what we're going to look at today. I've been talking about how we live in a world of imitations, and so we're looking for that which is authentic. And in a few moments, I'm going to talk about this attribute of devotion. So ushers, if you could help us, uh, raise your hand if you're in this venue. And those of you that are in the chapel this morning, we want to welcome you. If you need a Bible, they get a Bible to you. But if you keep your hand up, we'll get a Bible to you. And if you're in our video cafe, we'll make sure one is available for you as well. You can use these Bibles while we go through the message and then just leave them there in the chair. And we'll take care of them from there. Thank you so much. And uh, while you get your Bibles out, we're going to go to Romans chapter 12. We're going to have a look at our series together. But uh, while we're doing that, last week, I, you know, I want to apologize to everybody that was here last week. And those of you that got your gold, you still hold on to your gold from last Sunday? Did, you know, you should take it to the gold exchange place. I saw the guy on TV. You can trade that in. You may get more value for it if you try to trade it in than what we really gave to you. If you're wondering what we're talking about, last week we had these little chocolate cover, chocolate gold coins, you know, and they're covered in gold foil, and so we, we kind of played that out in the room here. But uh, where those came from, I shared how Pastor Amitab has been working with our facilities director, and we've been cleaning out all the different storage closets, and so we came across this gold, and we just, you know, wanted to share it with the church. Well, it's surprising what you can find in the archives of a church. Did you know that? If you've never really hung around a church building for a while, you find all kinds of things. So this week they found something else. And being that it's Mother's Day, I have, you know, I have to share with you. I just couldn't let you go. So I want you to see what we found in the archives as part of our Mother's Day tribute. So watch the screen. <laughs> this girl was hilarious. I want to see it. Come here. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. It gets better. We have pictures. Because he didn't stop there. He didn't know this was happening today. So uh, we got some photos for you to have a look at. And now we got some real poses here. Let's go to the next slide for us. Different, slight different variant. Here's another one. We thought we'd put a collage together. So kind of runway working it thing going on. And then here's another one. And I'll tell you, one more video. Well, that's what you find in the archives of a church. We love you, Pastor Dwayne. And I just want to personally apologize to Jody, to Justin, to Nathan, to the rest of the church community, to anybody online watching us right now that's going, that is disturbing. Well, that's what we do. We just have a lot of fun around here. And uh, so let's get our Bibles. We're going to go to Romans chapter 12. And here's what Paul's been telling us. He goes, I want us, and he's telling these believers, he says, I want you to live as authentic followers of Jesus. So we looked at authenticity last week, and we were talking about, so what does that look like when he said, you know, to be authentic in your love? And I shared with you how authenticity is connected to our integrity. 
connected to our purity, that we're trustworthy, that we have humility, that when those things come together, those are key indicators of what authenticity looks like. And so Paul, when he's describing this authentic love, gives us such a great groundwork for us to build our lives on. But he doesn't leave it there because one of the things we understand is I can ask us and we can tell us and we can read the word love, but if if love isn't exemplified, if it's not demonstrated, then it's just another word. We use the word I love you, but we don't carry through any of the actions that go with it and we can miss what love really looks like. So Paul takes painstaking effort by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to show and unpack what love looks like. So he doesn't merely say, you know, love one another. He actually takes it and begins to drive it a little bit deeper. And if your Bibles are in Romans chapter 12, here's what he says in verse 10. He goes, I want you to be devoted to one another in love. So not just the love value that we throw out there, but then he gives this qualifier. He goes, love, authentic love, is devoted love. There's an actionable quality. There's an actionable character, characteristic that comes to this love that we're supposed to have. And he goes, I want you to be devoted. You know, it's Mother's Day, and, I, and as I mentioned earlier, this really fits well. And so to all you mothers in the room, I just I applaud you. In fact, I think we should give you another hand. All the moms that are here in all our venues, we just we want to honor you today. I met... I met some brand new friends down front here, and these two little guys, man, they were serving up Nutella this morning. I want to go to that house when I get out of church. But, you know, honoring moms, I was thinking this week about Laura raising our son Kyle and the type of devotion that it took. I thought about my mom, what it took for devotion for her to raise us and to raise six kids. And so I started to write down what are the different things that a mom has to be devoted to do because they really do epitomize devotion. And so here's my list. I got thinking about Laura's world as my wife, and as she raised Kyle, I thought, wow, she had to be a doctor, she had to be an educator, an engineer, a nurse. She had to be a driving instructor, a therapist. She had to be a pastor. She took my job at times. She had to be a short-order cook running a 24-hour cafe. She had to do 24-hour emergency care. She had to be a counselor, a taxi driver, a coach, a fan. She had to be a personal bodyguard at times. She had to be walking Wikipedia and she needed to be Google incarnated. That's a mom. And I think about that, and I think about my mom trying to raise the kids, and mothers have this incredibly challenging call in their lives. You know, dads, we show up every now and then. See, I know, the room. Guys are smart. They're, not, they're just like eyes on me. They're not deviating at all. But moms just pour themselves in, and they have this incredible devotion. And so we honor you, moms. You know, whether you're a maternal mom or you're a foster mom, you're a spiritual mom or you're a mentoring mom, we applaud you for all that you do. You know, there's extreme examples of devotion, and we see it all the time. We, often we see it. We're so used to it, we don't even recognize it. A couple of pictures for you. We see sports fans who go out to their games, and they just take it to a whole other level. You know, I go out to cheer, and I might even stand and applaud every now and then. And then you have these guys that just want to show it all the way through. We have police officers who are incredibly dedicated to our communities, and they serve the constituency, and they show what real devotion is. Then I found this wild picture. We have coaches, and then we have sideline parent coaches. You know what they're like. If the coach isn't getting it right, mom and dad are there. Sometimes more mom than even dad is in there, and it gets this extreme devotion to make this happen. Well, Paul says, be devoted to one another in love. Have your devotion define and describe your love. Don't, don't let simply people say about you, oh, they're a loving person. They go, let them be able to measure your life by the level of your devotion, by the tangible quality that you have in your life. And here's something I find in Scripture. 
There are many people who followed Jesus. You know, 2,000 years ago when he actually walked on the face of this earth, those that were his closest followers, there are many that could be described with the attribute of devotion. But there's one in particular that really, I think, exemplifies and demonstrates for us this quality I want us to drive through today. And this individual faced more than their fair share of challenges in life. If you think about it, and you're going to pick up in a few moments when I share it with you, but their name was disparaged. Their character was maligned. History would actually further tarnish and insult their legacy to the point many people, if you just were to sample popularity poll, many people would have a very either a non-existent memory of the person or a very, what I would say, a disparaged understanding of this person's character. And it's extremely unfortunate because when I look at this person, they epitomize the very essence of devotion, and we overlook it. They were a faithful follower of Jesus. They were a consistent supporter of his ministry, financially vested into it, stood by the cross when he was uh, subjected to his humiliation and crucified, watched as his body was laid into the tomb. Eyewitness to the resurrection. I mean, these are credentials. Think about this. When everybody else is disappearing, these are credentials that are clearly worthy of receiving the accolade of the most devoted person of the year or century award if we were to give those out. And the credentials belong to the person that we know as Mary. Now, not Mary the mother of Jesus, Mary Magdalene. Who is Mary Magdalene? A lot of people hear the name, but they really don't know a lot about Mary. In fact, I would venture to say you know more about Mary Magdalene than you think you do. Because a lot of our information has been sourced out, as I mentioned, through social culture and through a lot of the movies and the reading that we do. Think about her story. Mary has been wrongly portrayed throughout the centuries as a prostitute. A leading church communicator in the 6th century connected her name back to Luke chapter 7, where it's the story of the sinful woman, and wrongly identified her as the woman in Luke chapter 7, and now Mary Magdalene for centuries was associated as the prostitute or the sinful woman. And this wasn't corrected, by the way, not in the 6th century. This didn't get corrected until scholars actually published this in the 20th century. So when scholarly research was enacted and they looked at it, they went, there's a complete bias. It wasn't held by everybody, but it was very, very popular that they assumed that that was her role. So that confusion hopefully would try to clear her name, but it didn't. Because many of you, whether you realize it or not, in 2003, a good number of you were drawn in by a contemporary author by the name of Dan Brown. He wrote a book called The Da Vinci Code. The Da Vinci Code got published, and then it went out to the movies, and people flocked to go see this movie at the theater, and they watched Mary Magdalene as portrayed on the big screen, as reflected out of the character of the book. And what they didn't realize is, is the whole plot alleged this secret bloodline existed that could be traced all the way back to a marriage between Jesus and Mary Magdalene, further disparaging her name and leaving her in the shadow of uncertainty. And although his work was strongly criticized for its historical and scientific inaccuracy, you can't turn the tide of popular opinion when people love the book and they love the movie, and then they just live with assumptions. That must have been Mary Magdalene. And you think she would finally get a break, but it was 1988, actually. It was an earlier version when it would be Martin Scorsese would take to the big screen a book that was published called The Last Temptation of Christ, which also purported that there had been some type of marriage relationship. In fact, when Jesus was taken from the cross, after the cross experience, that's when he married Mary Magdalene. So you have all of this confusion feeding into our contemporary understanding 
and maybe, maybe we could just get past it. But I just, uh, last year, was just published, another book was published, it's called The Lost Gospel. This book now will pick up on the same claim that there is a secret marriage that exists, but it pushes it out even further. Not only does it purport that Jesus and Mary Magdalene are married, it purports that when Leonardo da Vinci painted that famous painting, The Last Supper, everybody know the one? That portrayed within that painting, according to the author, that they had two sons, and those sons are identified in the portrait of The Last Supper, and that Leonardo da Vinci knew that story, and that's why he captured it that way. She just doesn't get a break. Then Mel Gibson comes along, and he portrays the Passion of the Christ, which was a a very powerful and dramatic representation of the Passion of Jesus. But he makes an association. He brings Mary Magdalene and associates her with the woman whom Jesus saved from stoning after she had been caught in adultery. Now, there's no biblical evidence to infer that this was the woman. This is mere association. It doesn't mean it was right. It doesn't mean it was wrong. But what he did is he cemented again in people's minds that Mary Magdalene must have had some kind of a reputation. So it begs this question, why would I stand up Sunday morning on Mother's Day and tell you that probably the most devoted person I can go back to in Scripture is Mary Magdalene when all this other evidence that we have would just challenge that paradigm? So here's what I want to do. I just want you to set aside anything you know about Mary Magdalene, and I want to set aside the movie directors and the fiction writers and the conspiracy theorists, And I want us to go back to the most credible source of information we have. It has been proven to be historically accurate. It's been tested through time. It's the Bible. And I simply want to go to the Bible and have a look at who this woman is. And what do we really know about Mary Magdalene? Let me run a little list. Mary Magdalene was a woman whom Jesus cast out, evil spirits, set her free. She financially supported the work and ministry of Jesus. She faithfully stood by Jesus' side when he was crucified on the cross. She watched as his body was laid to rest in the tomb. She returned to the tomb to prepare the body, at least so she thought, for his proper burial. She was the first person to be an eyewitness to the empty tomb, and she was the first person. She was the first person to speak to the resurrected Christ. And she was sent by Jesus to go and to tell the other disciples. And she faithfully carried out the command of Christ to witness to others. This is a stark contrast to the picture of Mary that's portrayed through all the fiction and popular opinion that we have. Mary Magdalene is a truly remarkable woman and not even remotely similar to this persona with which she is so often typified. Augustine, one of the early church fathers, would actually say this about her. He called her the apostle of the apostles because of her status. She was the first eyewitness of Christ. And she is for us today a stellar example of authentic love. And I would propose to you, if there was one that we should take a few moments and talk about devotion, there's a lot we can learn from her. And not just moms on Mother's Day. I think every one of us, when I look at her life, there are these these traits, irrefutable traits of what devotion looks like. So I'm going to invite you to take out your notes. We have inserts in the bulletin, or you can go to uversion.com, look up our live events, Mississauga, and you can take notes electronically. But here's what I want to do. I want to make sure not only that we value Mary for who she was, but more importantly that when we leave this place in a few moments today, that we'll leave here understanding that when Paul writes about authenticity and love, there is a vivid illustration in Scripture of what devoted love looks like and a measurable standard to which we can measure our lives. 
and I trust that we'll be able to do that. So I want you to write a couple of thoughts down. Here's the first one. When I think about Mary and her devotion, I discovered this about her. She exemplified devotion in the midst of conflict. That devotion when everything is easy and life is normal isn't really a measured form of devotion, is it? Where we truly measure devotion, maybe the best way to put it for you is this way, the little slide I'll put up for you. It says, devotion emerges when relationships are at risk. That we, we really get the value of what devotion looks like, whether it's marriage, friendships, work relationships. It doesn't matter where you want to measure this from. Even between parents and their children, sibling to sibling, devotion often just moves along unnoticed through life. But when you put a relationship at risk, then you see devotion escalate or diminish. You actually find where the person puts value. Let me show you this. When Jesus was teaching and leading, we know the Bible says that crowds of people, crowds of people began to follow him. So much so that John the Baptist, his disciples were becoming a little bit annoyed because of the popularity that Jesus was gaining. So people were moving after him and following with him and tracking with him. And so he had this incredible share of what I would call fair-weather friends. So people were there as long as he kept up the miracles. And why not? The guy is throwing picnics on the side of the hills. He's multiplying the loaves and the fish, and everybody's like, I love this guy. And then he does the little water exploits. The guy walks on water. Nobody else could do that. So everybody in the fair-weather part of the world is going, I want to be there. But then Jesus does something. Jesus did not come for popular opinion. He came to help people find their way back to God. So when he began to teach, there's this little what I call, it's a watershed moment where he raises the bar and he starts to teach with words that are hard to understand. And he says to all the people that are following him, he goes, listen, unless you are willing to eat my body and drink my blood, now that's kind of weird. He goes, but unless you're willing to do that, you're not one of mine. People are going, wow, that's a hard saying. And it is a hard saying, and we can't explain it all right now, but he's, of course, talking about what it would be to be a fully surrendered follower and the persecution that comes. Then he raises the bar even higher, and he goes, unless you're willing to take up your cross and follow me, you're truly not a follower of mine. So he throws out this challenge for devotion, and John, over in John chapter 6, verse 66, he says something about this. Look at the words. It's in your notes this morning. It says, from this time, many of his disciples, what did they do? Turn back. Many disciples turned back, and they no longer followed him. They're going, that's it. No more picnics, no more exploits, no more miracles. We can't follow a man like this. What was Jesus doing? He was raising the bar, not only on discipleship, but on devotion. See, here's what I understand. There are a lot of people who will follow Jesus with their hands out. Whatever you're going to give me, I'm going to take it. But when Jesus said, I want you to raise your hands up, they fall away. See, Jesus wants us to surrender our lives to him and humbly serve him, not to be there just for the handout, what you're going to do for me. He goes, no, what my followers are, they are people who understand who I am, the son of the living God. I am their Lord and I am their savior. They will surrender their life to me and they will follow me as a true disciple. That's incredible devotion. Well, why do I bring all that into the picture? Because John in John 6.66, when he talked about many disciples no longer followed him, I would have done probably what many in the room would do. Because it was a very male-centric society, that's why we often mostly read about the men. And so in that sort of culture, John identifies that a lot of the people just turned. So you'll read the Gospels and you go, man, it always talks about the men here. Well, that's a cultural application, and we understand it that way. But it wasn't just the men. 
there were women and young adults and children following. And when Jesus threw this out, what John was trying to stress is that the crowds were turning away. But what about Mary? What about Mary? See, we don't see Mary's name there. We have to read between the lines. But the way we find it is we start to put the four Gospels together and we start to read the story and we realize that from the moment that Jesus made the declaration to the point of the cross, Mary never deviated. She never left him in the midst of conflict. That when everybody else was turning and walking away, Mary would track right through to the cross. In fact, she is the epitome of what I would call this devotion in the midst of conflict. She never wavered in her allegiance. She allowed that power to be there. I guess the question I would ask all of us today is what happens to our devotion in the midst of our conflict? When our marriage doesn't quite go the way we want it to go. When our boss is harder than we really would expect, we wish they'd lighten up a little bit. When our friend betrays us and our small group doesn't quite respond the way that we had hoped. We have conflict all the time, don't we? That's what relationships are about. Relationships are about managing conflict and walking through it. Mary shows us that authentic love or authenticity and devotion is when you track through in the midst of conflict and you stay loyal. That you don't throw in the towel. You don't abandon it. And devotion chooses to believe and to see the best in others. You never walk away. And that's what I learned from her life. This is a woman who stayed through to the very end. Well, go to your notes. Let's go to something else about Mary. Mary also shows me another trait of what devotion looks like. It's devotion in the midst of what I call crisis. Crisis. Now, see, conflict is usually what happens between us. It's it's more interpersonal. So it's maybe happening in our marriages or between our siblings or between our parenting skills or with workplace relationships. Conflict, or that's the conflict side. Devotion in the midst of crisis is what I call happens to me. It's in my world, my sphere. So when I go into a crisis moment, I look at Mary's world, and here's what I see about her. She was devoted in the midst of her crisis. Now, we don't know a lot about this lady. So I'm going to give you as much as we can find from Scripture today. We don't know a great deal about her, but her name gives us something because her name is Mary Magdalene. And the writers use her name for a very specific reason. Magdalene comes from the word Magda or Amygdala, and that uh, represents a little town. It was an ancient town on the coast of uh, the Sea of Galilee. And so we have an identity marker that we realize Mary came from this place called Magdala. She's Mary Magdalene. So we have a vicinity. We also know from the teaching of Scripture that we can identify the geography where Jesus taught. That meant Jesus and Mary crossed over in the same vicinity. So when you look at the scriptures, you begin to realize Mary was like one of the many that would have followed him. Jesus is down teaching. She drops by the seaside to hear what he has to say. Jesus makes his way through the town. Mary's there. She wants to know what's going on. But what we do discover in the scriptures about Mary is there was a personal moment where Mary's crisis, her conflicted life, meets Christ. And where the power of the Spirit is present, Luke says something that we need to take note of. And it's in your notes, Luke chapter 8, verse 2. Luke says this about the women. There were some women there who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. And Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Luke gives us this insight into this woman who had lived a very troubled life. She was facing extreme difficulty. And here in the compassion and the love of God, 
Jesus and his mission of bringing and reaching and saving the lost, helping them find their way back to God, his interaction, his connection with Mary, the Bible says that Jesus sets her free. We don't know the nature of what the possession looked like. They don't give us the background to that. In fact, most of us, we don't want people to know what our backgrounds look like, do we? We go through hard times. The last thing we want people to do is say, hey, did you check out that skeleton? Look at that one. We don't do that. We try to keep our skeletons in our closets so nobody else sees them. But the Holy Spirit knew it was important for us. Why? Because he wants us to see what devotion in the midst of crisis looks like. And Mary becomes a stellar example that even in her own world of personal conflict, when she didn't know what she was going to do, she steps into this world where Jesus encounters her, Jesus delivers her and rescues her, and for the rest of her life, she remains devoted to this one. You know what I discover about our personal worlds? Is that our devotion when it comes to crisis, it's not so much like Mary. I've done a lot of counseling, done a lot of meeting with couples and individuals in their worlds, and here's what I tend to find about how we respond with our devotion that we tend to look for the reciprocal side. If there's a benefit or a value directly to me, then I'll get involved. Or we get into the bartering part. So let me explain. That when it comes to our relationship with God, rather than have this resolute devotion like Mary has, we barter. So if we find out that, you know, there's somebody in our family is sick and they really need to be healed, we'll pray, but we'll often pray to God with a condition on the back end. You know, God, if you heal them, you know, I'll go to church next week. I'll even go for three weeks in a row. Or God, if you'll reach my kids, and then we'll put a little conditional tag. You following with me so far? Or some people that, and I've actually had this to me, I've heard this spoken to me, that if God would save me, I will serve him as a missionary. They don't even know what a missionary does. But they're willing to do it, but then we throw a little phrase in. But don't send me to India, it's too hot. And don't send me to Finland, it's too cold. But God, Hawaii, I will go for you if you'll just rescue me and save me. See, that's how we handle our devotion in crisis. We barter with God, don't we? Yet Mary shows me a much better way is you don't express devotion. Authentic devotion isn't about bartering. Authentic devotion is when you just lay it down. Not hands out, hands up. And you just go, God, I trust you. Even though I don't know why I'm going through this, I don't know what this health issue is about, I don't know what the relationship struggle is about, I don't know what my salary and my income is going to look like, but I trust you, and I'm going to be devoted to you. And she models that so effectively for us. Well, it's something else to look at. And this is a rather unusual reflection, but it's what I call devotion in the midst of the ordinary. You know, Doug, what do you mean? Well, sometimes time is our friend, or time can be our challenge. So those of you this morning that are married, I'm just going to speak there for a moment, but it's going to affect all of our relationships. But I think I can illustrate. There's a picture on the screen. I love this picture. These two old folks just sort of tracking through life together. See, when people first get married, there's this enamored excitement and expectation. You guys remember this? Man, it's a good time to say yes. There's this wonderful anticipation of what life is going to be together. And we just think every day it's going to be the same. You remember when you used to be dating and you'd go pick her up and you'd get there early and you'd spend all your money on her? Five years go by and you go, you want 20 bucks for what? You won't even pull your wallet out anymore. And so we have, see, time can be our enemy. Time changes devotion, doesn't it? And so in the early stages of relationship, I remember with Laura when we first got married, um, you know, everything, we just, we couldn't imagine, we could not imagine what 25 years of marriage looked like. I remember going to 25th wedding anniversaries and thinking, those people are old? 
Remember that? They're really old. And I've passed that bar now. I can't believe it. And I, we talked about this recently. And we go, remember those really old people we went? And I said, yeah, we're those old people right now. Because we just thought it was going to be, you know, that's life. It all lives in the moment. But here's the thing. Those of you that are married, those of you that have good friendships, those of you that just regularly go to work every day, day in and day out, there's a lot of ordinary moments in our lives. Not filled with the spectacular. It's about work. It's about rest. It's about doing chores. It's about cleaning the house. It's about serving the kids. It's about whatever we need to do. It's a lot of the ordinary. And so the risk in the ordinary is that devotion can begin to wane. And we discover that that's where the challenge is. I just look at, the other day I was driving down the office here, and I was driving up through Streetsville. And as I was driving, this older couple, and they were in their mid-80s, and they were walking down the street. I'm a little bit of a prophet. Last week I predicted that spring came to Ontario, and it's still holding out. It's good. I'm holding on. So when I was driving through, I was just enjoying. I had my windows down, and I saw this couple walking down. He had plaid shorts on, and he had a nice T-shirt, and she had a sundress. And they were just strolling, holding hands and hands. And I said, oh, man, that's amazing. And so I called Laura, hands-free for those of you worried about it. I called Laura. And I left her a message. I said, honey, I just saw this couple. They're about 85, and they're still in love, and they're married. Well, I think they are. You know, you never know anymore. But uh, in my story, they're still married. We're kind of walking with that, assuming, you know, he hadn't picked her up in the corner. But I, I saw, and I described to her what I saw, and I just said, I can't wait to reach that stage with you. I can't wait to know that we can celebrate. That's good, isn't it? Man, I'm, I'm getting brownie points. I'm telling you, folks. My lunch is paid for. My lunch is paid for. Not like Pastor Duane. I was in the hallway before the service this morning, and I said, Jody's leaving worship? What's that all about? He goes, she's got to work for her meal ticket around here. I thought, oh, you're supposed to put the women up on Mother's Day. I didn't know that. (laughs) Uh, It's going to be a great lunch, by the way. I didn't know we're supposed to put the women to work, and so I was going to come in without telling Laura and go, Laura, you're on. I don't know what I'm going to say this morning. You preach. Now, there's a lot of ordinary days that we go through, and sometimes we make the assumption that ordinary must be caustic to devotion. It's not. Ordinary infuses devotion with power and gives it authenticity. My parents have been married for 62 years. Yeah. And they have lived through... You want to talk about challenge? Look at this guy up here. You want to talk about unordinary moments? I'm him. But they raised six kids. I can tell you, living in their home, I can tell you, having served with him as one of his staff pastors and walking with him, they lived ordinary days. They lived days when they would get up in the morning. Nothing unusual was going to happen in that day. Nothing remarkable. Just the ordinary. There's nothing wrong with ordinary. Ordinary helps us refine devotion. Ordinary infuses into our life that I can go through my life and experience all that God has for me. I love what Hebrews 12 says in 1 and 2. It says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer or the author and the perfecter of our faith. That just tells me that when you're in the middle of the ordinary, you just set through and you're devoted. Luke chapter 8 verse 3 talks about Mary. It says, these women... Remember now, just a few moments ago, I showed she was the one that the spirits had been delivered from, evil spirits. These women were helping to support Jesus and his disciples out of their own means. They were funding his ministry. Ladies, you are remarkable in the way you, you demonstrate devotion and commitment. You give sacrificially almost faster than the men will do. And Mary shows us, raise the bar. It's a way for us to do it. One more thing, and we'll wrap it up. Mary also shows me what it is to have devotion in the midst of the unknown. In the midst of the unknown. 
And this is a powerful trait. Because when you think of Mary's life, we, don't, we just don't have time this morning to go through all that would transpire on the weekend of the crucifixion. The betrayal, the disciples running away, the mock trials, the crucifixion, crucifixion and the inhumane treatment that Jesus would suffer on the cross, and then the burial. All that happened over that weekend, Mary was a constant. You put all the Gospels together, you read her story. She never wavered, never deviated. She was there in the cross. She saw the indignity. She was not a bystander. She wasn't there simply to go, oh, I wonder who this guy is. Very clearly, there were moments where the Gospel writers put her name at the front of the list of the people that were there. Why did they do that? Because of the devotion of this woman who loved Jesus, believed in his message, experienced the power of God in in her life. She was a devoted follower And she wasn't about to abandon him in the midst of the unknown. See, we look back. We have 2,000 plus years to look back and we can assess and understand. Mary was looking through the darkness, not back on the darkness. She was looking into it, wondering, where does this darkness, what is this engulfing us right now? What is taking place? She couldn't fully appreciate all that God had purposed and planned in the moment. But here's the deal about her devotion. In the midst of the unknown, there was a loyalty and a faithfulness that could weather being challenged and stretched. Matthew 27, I put it in your notes for you. Little statement. I've read it many times, but I never really thought about it. It says, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. That's all he says. The finality of his death on the cross had been verified. He breathed his last breath. He prayed his prayer to his father, took his body down from the cross. They authenticated that he was, in fact, dead before they carried his body away. That was mandated to make sure that he was. The Romans would not allow that body to leave that place. When his body was carried away, it would have been a perfect time for Mary just to slip away. After all, his disciples had left long ago. But she not only stood by him through his actual moments of agony and death. I love this picture. She walks in the unknown over to where the tomb would be. And she seats herself with the vantage point of watching all that she believed in, the one who changed her life, being laid to rest with no understanding of what was about to transpire. She watched as the stone was placed in front. She watched as the seal was placed on the stone. For her, she left that day thinking, it's all over. Resolve, commitment, yeah, she'd come back. She was going to prepare that body to make sure that Jesus was honored for who he was. And yet in the midst of all of that, when she comes back, look what God does. That she would be the one to witness the empty tomb. She would be the one that Jesus would speak to first. She didn't recognize him at first because that's the wonder of the resurrected body, folks. That's what I'm waiting for. It's going to be a little bit different than what we have right now. But then in that moment when Jesus reveals himself and she goes, Rabboni, my teacher. This was not some weird convoluted relationship that Dan Brown and the Lost Gospel is purporting. This was a devoted woman who understood that in the midst of the unknown, I did not waver. And Jesus just remarks in that moment and thanks her and loves her and sends her and commissions her. That's why she's called the Queen of the Apostles or the Apostle to the Apostles because of the power of her devotion. So the question I asked this morning is, how do we measure up when our devotion wavers? How do we measure up when we walk into our moments of the unknown? So Mary Magdalene, may I be the first of all of us to be her champion to say, way to go, Mary. Way to show us how to live a life of devotion. But then can I raise the bar? It's not enough to celebrate the woman who lived the life. Four pictures on the screen for you this morning.
how are we doing when it comes to the authenticity of our love? Paul said, be devoted to one another in love. Can you imagine what our marriages, what our parenting skills, what our relationships and our friendships and our, our small group worlds and our church worlds and our work worlds would look like if we truly, authentically loved and we were devoted to one another the way we're challenged to live? That means no matter what conflict, no matter what crisis, no matter how ordinary the day is, or no matter how unknown the moment is, all of the images that we could possibly put on the screen this morning wouldn't matter because we know what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And we, of all people, will show the world what authentic, devoted love looks like. Amen? Let's do this. Pray with me. Father, this morning, that's what we pray and we commit ourselves to. It's not just a day, and it's a great day to honor moms, but this is a day to really dive into the depths of what you're calling us to because a world is hurting, and they desperately are seeking for what's authentic and real, and you have raised your church up and said you can exemplify everything that they crave. You can live in such a way that you draw people into my love and you help them find their way back to God. So may we be those people May we live devoted to one another in love. I also pray this morning, because I know there are men and women, young adults, even children in the room that maybe have never personally experienced the wonder of your love. They've never asked you to be Lord of their life, forgive their sin, and to experience your devotion to them. Because you said, I will never leave you and I'll never forsake you. You'll have the life that you've always wanted. So even in this prayer, Father, I pray that there would be courage to be able to say, Jesus, be Lord of my life. Forgive my sin. Help me to live devoted to you in the same way you have already demonstrated your devotion to me. And so, Father, that's our call, and that's our prayer today, and we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.